Hello and welcome to everyone listening. This is episode number seven of Fake It, also known as the Fake It Show with Rob Bottrell. I'm joined this week by uh, a former guest. We're having our first sec- our first duplicate show, uh, one-on-one with Mike Cottrell, my cousin, my uh, best man at my wedding, etc., etc. How you doing, Mike? I'm, I'm doing fantastic. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure what to think about the, the double appearance. I, I don't know whether to be flattered because I was such a good guest or if it just means that you couldn't find anyone else willing to come on the show. Well, as you know, and maybe we'll talk a bit more about this, we intended originally for this show to be something a little bit different than it's going to end up being. And uh, so it definitely has nothing to, it's not that I couldn't find a guest because if I couldn't find a guest, I just wouldn't do this. <laughs> uh, and nobody would ever know except for you. Yeah. Uh, but at some point, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later. Um, before we get too far into the show, I just want to say that uh, this episode is brought to you in part by audible.com. Uh, from there, you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash unwind, and that they have over 150,000 titles to choose from, uh, and you can get them to read books to you on your iPhone, Android, or tablet. So uh, thanks to Audible for helping support our show and Unwind Media. That's uh, audibletrial.com slash unwind. Uh, so we had, we have a, an, I have a number of things that I want to talk to you about. Uh, last time you were on, we talked a lot about, if I recall correctly, we talked about family, we talked about relationships. Um, I was, I was a younger man at that point. I have, I've grown a little bit in that time, but there's also been a number of things that have changed in the world. And this is the platform that I have that fake it is a platform that I have to talk about whatever I want. And uh, you know that it's been almost a month since we recorded a future chat. And so uh, uh, this I intended this episode to be something different. But what it's going to end up being, I think, at least at the beginning, is going over things from future chat that Nick doesn't care about and isn't going to... He probably won't even want to listen to this episode. Um, Nick, if you are listening, just skip the next 15 to 20 minutes or so and then uh, pick us pick us back off. Right, yeah, just see, see if we're done talking about things yeah. you don't care about. Um, this is not Future Chat because Future Chat, we, we've kind of transitioned it to be a news show. But in the beginning, what we did is focused on different things like digital photography. We focused on social media. We did an episode about smart TVs, wearable devices, all that. We sort of went really deep on a single topic. Uh, but we didn't really get a chance to revisit those topics in later episodes. Even going, even when we transitioned future tech chat into future chat, we'd never had a chance to go back and talk about, like, revisit digital photos. Because unless something was in the news, then we talk about the news. But so I wanted to go back and sort of look at. I guess it's almost like a year in review of not technology per se, but where our digital lives are at. Uh, I've had, yeah, I've had some stuff that's bothering me. Just things I've been thinking a lot about, and so uh, I hope you're ready for this little roller coaster ride of digital emotions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more than ready. Yeah. Uh, so I want to start because the last episode we had, uh, Future Chat was right. It was e- either right before or right after the the second the reannouncement of the Apple Watch, along with the shipping date, and. You and I have talked a lot. We've we've been through the announcement of the Pebble Time, the Pebble Time Steel. We've been through a bunch of 
there's the LG, G-Watch, the all kinds of Samsung, like five or six generations of Samsung watches over the last year. And now we have the Apple Watch. Um, so, so I wanted to kind of get your thoughts and see if, <laughs> and uh, before we get too far into the smartwatch discussion, maybe you can talk a little bit about your last blog post on Future Chat and how you had a thing on your wrist that was technology and maybe what happened. But, so <laughs> having seen all the smartwatches that have, that have come into play over the last year, come on the market, are there any that are compelling to you? Are you going to buy one now in the next year, in the next five years? Like, what are your thoughts? And maybe start with uh, the last year and if any are interesting to you. Okay. <clears throat> so I've always been a very big fan of advancements in technology, but I, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself an early adopter. Uh, the responsible side of me always kind of second guesses myself and, and says, well, are you really going to use this slash how much added benefit is it going to be to your everyday routines um, for what you normally use now with your phone? Is this going to kind of be an added value added type thing or is it going to kind of uh, replace some function of your phone or that kind of thing? So that's kind of the questions I ask myself when I, when I look to see if, if a device is worth buying. Uh, so up until this point, I haven't found one. Uh, they've usually lacked at least one element that that I'd be looking for. Um, the big one right now, I believe, is GPS. I think if GPS was included in, in more devices uh, right off the bat, then I'd be more inclined to kind of invest in it, uh, just kind of for the added tracking functionality, um, uh, you know, Google Maps, all that kind of stuff. I think that'd be useful to have on your wrist uh, and be able to kind of leave your phone at home. That's, that's right. kind of one of the other questions I ask myself is, would this allow me to leave my phone somewhere else and just use my watch for, say, one, two, three hours. Uh, now, yeah, so GPS, and then the other thing is connectivity, either data or, uh, I guess, just 4G, just voice sure. communication. Yeah. Um, now, that's obviously not as big of a deal. Like, As long as it has data, you could probably get away with it. Um, and, but right now, a lot of them are Wi-Fi only or Bluetooth connectivity with internet connectivity through the phone. So you'd still need your phone with you. Um, so those are the two kind of big things right now that are that are kind of holding me back from putting money down and actually buying a smartwatch. Um, though I do like the fitness tracking aspects of smartwatches that they offer with the accelerometers in them uh, to be able to kind of do sleep tracking or or just kind of pedometer basic fitness tracking. Mm-hmm. Um but what they've actually started coming out with now, and I believe the Pebble Time Steel, uh, or the Pebble Time for that matter, mm-hmm. advertises the ability to integrate with a smart band. And I think that's a very cool concept to be able to have you know, a third-party peripheral device, essentially, that you can integrate with whatever smartwatch you have. So even if it's lacking you know, a GPS sensor or even, I don't know about the data connectivity, if you can kind of put yeah. that into a smart band. but save for at least GPS, um, then you can have a smart band that has a GPS sensor in it, hook it up with your watch, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden your watch has that GPS capability. So I'd like to see where, where the smart band market is going and how it can start integrating with a lot of the watches out there and, and going forward. Um, but for right now, the most promising one 
I think is between if I had an iPhone, I think the Apple Watch would be something worth uh worth considering. Yeah. Um and the Pebble Time Steel is on the right track as well because the battery life for that is is quite exceptional compared to the LED screens uh that the other watches have because it has the e-paper it can get away with uh, a lot longer battery life. Yeah. Um so I like where that's going, but I don't know. I think I'm I'd probably be the closest to investing in a Pebble Time Steel if I were to get one today. Um, the new LG, the oh, what's the name of it again? Isn't it's like G Watch Round or something? Is that no? This is G Watch R is the is the original. Then they just came out with the um. It's probably like G Watch Two. G Watch. I don't know the the new one. The new one that they have. No, it's not G Watch Two. <laughs> It's, it's it's like a French kind of name attached oh. to it. Activité. But, yeah. Is it? Is, no, that's not the one. That's a different one. Yeah. I, look it <laughs> but it's believable, though. Uh, that actually sounds familiar. It does. I don't see anything about a different... I just see the G-Watch R. Urbane. Oh, Urbane. That does, yeah. that does sound familiar, too. Yeah. So that that one for aesthetics, it looks very good, um, and I was always a fan of the of the G Watch design. So or the G Watch R design, I should say. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I think between those two for aesthetics and functionality, I'd be pretty close. But I'd still like to see a smartwatch that can kind of replace your phone for a couple hours versus be an accessory. So sure. Um, on that note, I did. <laughs> I'd always the other thing I always considered was getting a fitness tracker, yeah. uh, along the lines of the Fitbit or the Jawbone, but the price points for those were always so ridiculously high for what they offer that it was just never it never made sense to actually invest in one. Um, but then Xiaomi released a fitness band called the Mi Band, and it was twenty bucks. So it's like, why wouldn't I buy one? <laughs> um, now, so tell us for, why wouldn't you buy one <laughs> for. Fans of the show, uh, you may fans you of may future know, chat. Fans of future chat, yeah. anyway, or urban or unwind media. If, yeah, <laughs> in the greater scheme of things, uh, you might have seen the blog post I made on on the unboxing and the initial impressions, and I was I was impressed by it for for especially for how much I paid for it. Um, now, for those who didn't get a chance to see the blog post, it's basically a, a rubber band with a a little accelerometer sensor that sits kind of where a watch face would be like kind of a um, big so a big pill like a horse pill kind of yeah well sure yeah for lack of better descriptive um <laughs> it's pill it looks, shaped it, and it's big it looks nicer than that than it sounds no yeah um, i'm just describing the yeah. shape yeah. yeah so you know I, I walked around with it for probably a good three to five days and then i got off the bus one day i get home i look down at my wrist and there's an empty spot where that <laughs> horse pill is supposed to be <laughs> And ironically enough, a couple of days prior, I was looking at reviews to see what other people's impressions were. And there were a couple of people that said, oh, yeah, the sensor fell out. The sensor fell out. And I was like, well, you'd have to be pretty dumb to lose track of that sensor. But <laughs> apparently I'm, I'm dumb enough to lose track of it, and I have not heard from it since. So, You know what? I, people like you could say – you would say that. Like, people would say, oh, like, how could you not notice that fellow? That's, like, an, an integral part of your day. But 
a week or two ago, I lost my keys. They just fell out of my pocket. Like you, ju- you just don't notice. There's a thousand other things going on. And it's also, that is a design flaw. No matter how you look at it, if people yep. are complaining about it, it's something that you should address. It's not like that happens. That happens to people yep. who are, are paying attention, who know, like you're not staring at your wrist to make sure it hasn't fallen out all the time. I, um, yeah, I have a big beef with companies that have products with design flaws that should be caught. Like at some point, you know, that's a flaw. Can I give you an example for a minute? Yes. Uh, this is going to, I mean, I'm, I guess I should be embarrassed by this, but I'm really not. Cause I think this is, this is a solvable problem. So, uh, Julia for her birthday got a pull-up bar, uh, called the iron gym. It's one of the ones that sort of like installs on your door frame. It's not yeah, the one I've that got like, one of those two that squeezes it, like sets yep. into the frame and, uh, it comes it's, so you assemble it yourself. It comes with, uh, bolts that are two different sizes, two very slightly different sizes and if you put the wrong bolt into the hole and tighten it at all, um, you can't get it off. Right. The, so the bigger one into the smaller hole. Yeah. Yeah. The top, uh, the, the top of the bolt, which normally has some kind of screw head in it, is just smooth and rounded. And you literally cannot un, like, you cannot remove the bolt from the screw at all. I've been trying for three days. And if you just inserted, like if you just made a slot in that metal bolt, it would be a five second job. And I have to know, like these are, they're talented engineers building this, these products. They know. Assumedly (laughs) talented. This is a broken product. If somebody can, can twist one, like twist a wrench once and break the product forever or require replacement parts that shouldn't be like, it's a brand new thing just opened five minutes ago and it's completely broken beyond repair. That's a design flaw. That's not like, yes, I did something dumb. I didn't read the manual closely enough, but it's a design flaw. That's you can't expect people to know how to do something and leave something in there like that. That's irreversible. It, and it's such a simple fix. Like they're they're trying to sell more iron gyms. They're trying to have people screw it up. They're embarrassed and they go and buy another one. There's I can't think of a possible any possible other solution. All you have to do is use a bolt that has a slot in it instead of a smooth rounded one. It doesn't add anything to the design. This is a solved problem that they purposefully didn't solve. Is it is it a bolt that has like the hexagon that you could put like a a, a ratchet it's around it? It's completely smooth and rounded. So you how cannot, did you get it on in the first place? It's got the little knobby um, bolt on the other end. So you screw the bolt onto the end, not onto the... Okay. Um, yeah, it doesn't. the bolt doesn't go all the way down. It's got the screw cap on it. I don't, I don't know the right hardware words, right. but take my word for it that... Uh, you can't get it off? It's, it is impossible to get it off without an angle grinder... Right. <laughs> or a giant pair of bolt cutters. Yeah. The thing with with the Mi Band is that the design requires it to be able to be put in and taken out right. to charge it. So it's like, which maybe that is the design flaw is that you should you shouldn't have to design it to be taken out and put back in. Just have the little charging slot somewhere accessible that you just take the band off, charge it, 
without having to take the actual sensor out because yeah it's obviously they've designed it so that it's easy to take out to charge but it's also easy for it to just pop out on its own yeah so yeah i don't know the well the other aspect of the iron gym that makes me think that it's to sell more units is that once you've built this it you can't take it apart by design by design, once you have put it together, you could you could maybe tighten the stuff a little bit more, but you can't take it apart because there's nothing to get any traction on on the bolt. Because right. it's rounded and smooth. Yeah. It just, uh, it makes me so sad. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, design flaws. And, and so you spent this $20. You were excited for the first week. You were very excited because yeah. you wrote this really, really excited. long post. Yeah. And then... Uh, now, now, what have you done since? It's been about a month almost, three weeks? I well, haven't ordered another one. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm waiting for either something else that <laughs> might <laughs> be worth buying or maybe I'll just hold out for a smartwatch now because right. it bit me in the butt to jump at the fitness band. But yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll write a follow-up blog post because I did have some experiential notes to right. to communicate and there were parts that I was impressed by and parts that I didn't like. So I'll do a, I'll do a proper review post soon um but for the time being i don't have it anymore right so it the the whole smartwatch thing strikes me as very odd and it's sort of an extension of the computer thing from maybe 10 years ago where you can get something that doesn't do very much some piece of technology that doesn't do much and it's not very expensive and if you want there's also this other thing that is probably three to five times more expensive and does a lot more. And you can make the argument to yourself that, oh, I, you know, I probably wouldn't use all of these fancy things. I should just get this. The, the example that I'll use is uh, it actually is a smart activity tracker called the Activité. That's where I got the name from. Uh, it's from Wythings. I believe it's a British company, so I'm going to pronounce it Wythings. See, I've heard of the Activité before, yeah. but that is a watch too, isn't it? it it's a watch slash – I think it's mostly an activity tracker. Yeah, but it has – Timekeeping yeah, functionality. Time-keeping, yeah. yeah. Um, and so Julia was watching some daytime TV show yesterday, which was Good Friday. So we were home and they were advertising it. And it's she was like, oh, it's only $119. And it got all this activity stuff. And for the life of me, I was unable to, to get across the point that getting a 350 or I guess in the case of Canada, $419 Apple Watch would be so, so much better. But because to me, I've had so much experience buying technology and using technology. I know what you get when you buy something that's cheaper. It's mm-hmm. it will be more basic, and it, to me, it's worth it to get the more advanced features. Yeah, it's not even that it's just that because it's cheaper, but it's it's a limited functionality. Yeah. It's the yeah. same thing as like an ebook reader versus a full functioning tablet. In right. my mind, it's yeah. kind of similar. Yeah, you can pay a lot less for an ebook reader, and if that's really if that's all you're looking for, then by all means go get it. But if you could at some point anticipate yourself wanting the added functionality of you know a full functioning tablet, then just get that. Even yeah. though it's more expensive, you'll be better off doing that. Yeah, and I I know people who have ebook readers and love them. I know mm-hmm. people that have tablets and don't use them yeah and i i get <laughs> i'm the, the exact opposite of that if i had an ebook reader i would never use it because i would read a book maybe like i would pick up pick it up buy a book start reading it 
But if I stopped reading that book, I would set it down and go do something else. And yeah. I wouldn't come back to that device unless I wanted to read a book. But there's so much else you can do on a tablet that I could stop reading a book and I could listen to a podcast or I could do both at the same time or I could go and surf the web. Yeah. Just things well, that you don't get. It's the same thing with activity trackers. Like there's people that will use an activity <clears throat> tracker, but they don't really use a smartphone or want any other sort of notification interaction or that kind of thing that a smart watch would offer. So it really would be in their best interest to get a, a cheaper activity tracker versus a smart watch that offers the same activity tracking with the extra features. Right. And they'd be fine doing that. But I know for myself, if I was to get like, you know, a device over 20 bucks, I'd want it to be able to do a lot more than just track activity. Yep, absolutely. Yep. So moral of the story here. Um, I'm hoping that by my birthday, I can convince Julia to get to either get me an Apple watch for my birthday or to allow me to get myself it for my birthday, just because I think it, the whole thing that an Apple has now put up a bunch of videos on their website, detailing how you can use certain features of the watch, which is something that they've never done for any of their products before. And for me, those videos aren't particularly useful because I'm one of the people that as soon as you get something, you go and see every possible thing that it can do. But a lot of people will get a tablet and they'll use maybe three or four apps on it and they'll never download anything new. They will use the internet. They might get email on there and probably listen to music or something. So they'll use a core set of functionality. Whereas when I get something, I immediately go, what are the 5,000 things I can do on this? And let's see how well they work. Yeah. So for me, an Apple Watch, I would make complete use of, and it would be well worth my three hundred fifty dollars. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not a rich person, but I'm not strapped for cash either. I can afford a three hundred fifty dollars thing, and it. I would get that much use out of it. Yeah. It might make some other product of mine redundant, or slightly redundant, like. Just like if I bought a bigger phone, I might not need an iPad as much. I might not care as much, but I, I still really like the definition that I have. I've been listening to a lot of technology podcasts, and they've been talking about screen sizes and how different screen sizes fit different things, different situations in your life, and how at some point, hopefully, technology will supersede that screen size need. And so you won't need... Like right now, at my desk, I have... Uh, well, above my desk, there's a TV there that's 42 inches, I believe. Uh, and that's for watching stuff from far away with other people. And then below that, there is a 24-inch computer monitor that, again, if that was bigger, I would I would use that extra space. Um, there's an iPad in front of me as well. It's 9.7 inches. And then there's a phone in front of me that's 4.7 inches. There, there are so many screens but they all fit different situations. And the, the hope was or is that technology will supersede the need for different size screens and the device you have will just sort of adapt to fit whatever your needs are. And the screen itself won't matter so much. Like you might have these dumb screens like my monitor here that's in front of me, my computer monitor cost me like $125, $150. But my computer that goes with it costs... I've put about probably $1,200, $1,400 into it. And I have multiple computers. I can't use multiple computers all at once, but 
I can use, in theory, multiple screens at once. But it would be great if you could buy one really powerful computer and then it would just connect with all of the screens you have and you don't need redundant computing power just sitting there. Whenever you're not at home, you're not using your home computer. Whenever your laptop's closed and you're sitting on the couch on your iPad, that computing power is going completely unused. It's completely redundant. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully technology will supersede that in time. I feel like that should already be a thing by now. I agree. There's a... Like, yeah. One of the things going on at our office or one of the, like our government office, the one of the sort of pilot programs they're apparently working on is distributed computing. So having the, our desks or cubicles would have terminals in them. It would be a dumb thing with a keyboard and mouse that would connect to a virtual, like connect you to a virtual desktop, but you right. wouldn't actually have any computer hardware there in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking of when you're talking about that scenario <clears throat> of the multiple monitors, but one central computing yeah. station. Like that's that should be a fairly simple, like, concept to execute. I think. Yeah. We're getting to the point that there are a couple things I see limiting that. And so if I'm talking, if I'm thinking just in terms of stuff that I would use or stuff that I need, things like recording podcasts, I couldn't do that on a dumb terminal unless I had enough network to send all the bits I'm generating to whatever central disk fast enough to keep up. Like things like audio and video have really high bit rates and transferring that over any kind of internet, even if it's. A land, or, um, Ethernet, yeah. it's yeah. going to be challenging. Like I wouldn't want to stream even – I even am a little bit concerned right now that I'm streaming – not streaming. I'm sending or I'm saving this audio for this podcast to my external hard drive and not my actual hard drive on my computer. I've, I've tested it and I know that I'm not losing data, but it's still like – it stresses me out a little bit. I can't imagine sending my audio to some server somewhere and just being confident. Like right now, I can't imagine doing that confidently thinking that I'm not going to get any data loss. Mm -hmm. But at some point, that will have to be the case. Our networks will be robust enough that we can all do that confidently without having to worry about it. And I've done things like using TeamViewer. You can use, I can use, sit there on my laptop that couldn't probably not handle video editing as well as my home computer. So I'll sit there, team view from my laptop into my desktop, edit a video there, and then export it, benefiting from the speed of my home computer. And my, my laptop, which doesn't have a dedicated graphics card, is going to take longer to do that task. So if I leave it to my desktop, then, then everything is okay. Somehow we got from wearable devices to this, <laughs> but uh, I, yeah. So I, I'm I'm excited for the future, mostly because hopefully it will make all <clears throat> sorry all of these redundant devices actually redundant. Yeah. Okay, so um, from one kind of stream to a different kind of stream, the next thing I have here that I wanted to, and maybe this can be very brief. Um. Streaming TV is something that's getting better. I can actually watch shows now. I used to download The Daily Show because I went to bed well before 11 o'clock. 
I used to download the daily show and then put it onto my iPad and on the bus to work, I'd watch the saved episode that I had. And now through comedy central's comedy network, I guess in Canada through their website, I can stream it. And because I have unlimited data, it works. It works totally fine for a while. They didn't even have ads on it because when you're testing a platform, you don't want people having problems and also having problems with ads. But now there are ads on it and it turns my 22, 21 to 22 minute show back into a 30 minute show because every between every segment where there would be commercial breaks on TV, they just stick three 30 second ads in. Mm-hmm. And even that, like I hate because in the morning, if I'm trying to get ready, I don't have half an hour. I have like 25 minutes. So so sometimes I'll miss something or I'll have to finish it on the bus. And it's very annoying. But the most annoying, but I get that. The most annoying part is that it's a new platform. Not a lot of people are on it. And so in some cases, some days, I will watch, like before the stream starts, I will watch an ad three times. The stream will start. The segment ends. I will watch the same ad three more times go through five more minutes and by the end of the episode i will have watched that ad like 18 times and i <laughs> that makes and me you really want to buy kleenex now <laughs> well, the, the the one that i've seen most like hotels.com is one that and their commercials are really annoying they often don't don't actually advertise use cases for their service um there's an ad for osap that has played uh the ontario student assistance program that's played Many, it's one of the ones that I've seen 18 times and I hate, I hate it now. <laughs> it makes me not want to use the thing if I have to sit through ad after ad after ad. And people have, have complained about this. So TSN and CBC both have pretty good streaming services, but their ads tend to be really repetitive. So you get yeah. every commercial break, you get the same ads, you get like the same loop play through yeah. and it makes commercial breaks really annoying more annoying than I think they need to be. I don't know. Do you do you stream much, or is that is that just me? Yeah. So well, we use Netflix for the most part with uh, Emma's shows, and for ourselves, uh, we'll just do online streaming through whatever TV network is hosting it. Um, for example, like well, just the past week or two, I contacted you about the your cable account because we we were trying to watch Big Brother Canada on on Global, and in order to watch it live. It was asking us to put in our, our cable provider information. Um, otherwise, you can watch it the day after, which we hadn't realized at the time. But so that's right. that's what we're doing now is just watching it the day after, which, you know, is fine, whatever. Um, and, yeah, they have their ads as well. Uh, they don't they – don't, so far, they haven't been repetitive mm-hmm. as far as, you know, multiple of the same. And it's usually just one at a time. Okay. Yeah, that's better. Before, so it's not, not too bad. Uh I know TSN, they have this one site or sister site or feature called like Bar Down where they show like highlights and little kind of mini blog posts on sports stories and they'll usually have a video clip or two. And those ones they have for like a 15 second video clip of like a goal, like a highlight, they'll have like three 30 second ads (laughs) for 15 (laughs) seconds of highlight. Ah. That's funny. So, like every every comment thread on Facebook is like, "Yeah, I'm not saying through this many ads for a 15 second highlight." Sure. Yeah. Right. 
it's like it's ridiculous. It's so I think there's a fine line between yeah, an acceptable amount of ads and understanding that you know someone's got to pay for the ability to stream it and host it. But it's like you don't want it. Like like you said, there's probably a better, less annoying way of doing things. Yeah. Than than how some some companies are are choosing to to manage it. Yeah. It um, it annoys me that advertising like companies are amalgamating, conglomerating all of their services and needs into one big thing. So when you when you subscribe to Rogers Internet. You can have Rogers Cable. They will show you ads for on something you're paying for. Already. Yeah. Or it, like, like the product is something you're already paying for or you're paying for something and they're also showing you ads. Both. Like all of it together. There, there's a – I was watching a video um, yesterday about the – I think it's the Metro Transit Authority, MTA in New York – their subway system, they installed apparently a bunch of new, uh, I guess, LED panels that show train times. And someone was standing there trying to find train times and recorded a video of it. There were 45 seconds of ads. And then for 14 seconds, it like quickly flipped through all the train times and then looped back to ads. Yeah. And it's like the purpose of this sign is to show train times. It's not for advertising. You're, yeah. already, you're paying for the, the metro service. You're in the metro service. There, there are probably also print ads plastered all over everything. It just seems it, like it was a big board. It was a board where you could have had an ad at the bottom or at the top and also shown the train times all the time. But right. they chose to give you this full screen video sort of immersive flash looking advertisement and then briefly flash the train times. And in that time, your train goes by because you didn't know it was coming. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it makes it seem like they, the actual programming that the thing was built for, is an afterthought. Like this is a thing you could easily think. If you didn't sit there and, and study this board, you could think, "Oh, well, there's this advertising billboard. Where are the train times? Where can I see those?" You could walk right past it, not even realizing that was where you're supposed to go. Yeah, and you see that. Literally all over the place. Yeah. I just, I get that you want to make money, but charge a reasonable amount for your service. Yeah. If it's not enough to make you money, like all they're doing with advertising, it at least to me, the way it seems is what they're doing with advertising is trying to increase their profits. They're making money, and they're trying to make even more by showing you ads because we're now we're now basically used to seeing ads everywhere. So it it doesn't cost them any users if they have ads because we right. expect them yeah what i've seen a lot of places do now is when you go to like a fast food restaurant and they have their menus in the olden days back in my day <laughs> they had menus with the little like you know either just printed laminate sheets or just little like clip-on like yeah. letters and numbers and stuff what they have now are full digital screens where it's a you know, full digitized menu, like yep. a computer screen type thing. But now what they're doing is they'll convert like every however often the entire menu board turns into an ad. Yeah. Like the entire board. Like there's no menu there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you go up, like, what can I get for you? You look up and it's like an ad. And it's like, just just give me a sec here. 
I'm waiting for this ad to yeah, end. Yeah, I'm waiting for just, I, I, there, There's no menu here. Just, just hold on a sec. And then, you know, 10 seconds go by and finally the menu comes back and then you can order. So yeah. it's like – and I've seen that that happens will fail every time. Like I'll stand in line and someone comes up. That happens to them or more often than not, it happens to me. And it's like, okay, well, this is kind of counterproductive here. Like I'm I'm already in McDonald's. I yeah, don't need this an ad for McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to give you my money. Yeah. <laughs> like – and it's your own ad. It's not even like someone else's ad that you're getting right. revenue for. Yeah. So it's like all the more reason is like, why are you even showing that? Like, it's not necessary. <laughs> and if you're going to do it, have one screen with an ad, right. not the entire board. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. There's a, I think in Tim Hortons I've seen recently, there's a, a dedicated TV set, like set to Tim TV or something that has ads okay. and it has sports highlights. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen that before too. But yeah. also the the menu screens will just... Yeah. Sometimes there'll be some dedicated advertising, but then every once in a while they'll like go black and then they'll all be the same yeah. ad. And then yeah, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, so TV, I think, is getting better in that companies are starting to go to to realize that the Internet is a thing that's kind of here to stay and that they have to they have to Adapt. work with content and they people are going to dvr things people are not going to watch at whatever time they specify people are going to fast forward through commercials if they're watching on on real t on actual tv so people that don't adapt are going to like the print industry as almost a whole are going to start dropping off i don't like fox news i don't see it existing past the like baby boomers starting to get into their 80s and 90s that's going to be the end of fox news i don't see any new customers coming on now and i i honestly have no idea if fox puts any of their stuff like streams any of their stuff online you're, i'm start you're starting to see i think nbc made a deal that they're going to start and again there's a whole thing in canada we get nothing we get almost nothing streamed so when NBC does announce something like, oh, we'll be streaming a select set of shows live on the internet, if you have, again, A, if you have a TV subscription already, so it's like, that makes defeats the whole purpose of this. And then B, we're only going to show it to people in the country where the broadcasting corporation is. So NBC will only stream this stuff to the States. And that's a small fraction of the world population and there's also thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of sources of entertainment now. There's not just three TV channels and then the radio. You have mm -hmm. an endless number of things. And so if your show isn't good and it's also not – like it's really hard to get, people aren't going to pay attention to it. Yeah. I've had issues watching – like the new season of Community came out or is coming out now on Yahoo Screen. But it's only available in the States. So if we want to watch it, and there are so many Canadians that do want to watch it, it's it's A, it's really hard to watch, and B, the people that do watch it in sort of illicit or less than reputable ways, you can do it through VPN, you can torrent it, whatever, the, the companies that are making the shows that are investing all this money into it aren't getting a good gauge of what their audience actually is. There could be millions, if not tens of millions of people watching Community 
but if they're all doing it illegally or if they're all doing it not through Yahoo screen itself because they can't get it, then you could have this wildly popular show and A, you're not making any money off of it because they're not watching it on Yahoo screen where you can put ads on it, but you're also not seeing it in your metrics at all. Yeah. What you almost need is you almost need like a European European Union type agreement between Canada and the US Mm -hmm. when it comes to media, both music and TV, so that they're treated as the same region. Yeah. So you don't have those restrictions with licensing and all that kind of stuff between the US and Canada because like I know the radio in Canada has these rules of whatever percentage of your music needs to be Canadian content and all this kind of stuff, which yeah. I you know, I agree that you need to support your Canadian content. But sure. if like for stuff like T V shows, like there's people in Canada, like you said, that want to watch the US stuff and unless you're willing to pay for a VPN and you know not get you know in trouble because of it or whatever then you're going to not be able to see that at the detriment to the companies putting out the show because they'd they'd rather have more viewers regardless of where they're from but there's probably so many regulatory hurdles to broadcast your show in a different country that it's just not worth their effort when they have enough people in the states for their own purposes to to broadcast to and then you know us in Canada get the short end of the stick for that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't. One of the things I'm I'm looking forward to is seeing the like the movie theater industry and the movie making industry kind of catch up to where TV is now as far as releasing online content, um, and and that kind of thing where you're not restricted having to go out to the movie theater to watch. And we've already seen that. We've talked about that on Future Chat before. Yeah. Um, how a lot of production companies are are starting to kind of go that route, or distribution companies anyway, starting to yeah. go that route and, and release online or iTunes or whatever. Uh, and I don't, know, I think that's that's promising to to see. It it is promising, and I think things are probably going to keep getting better slowly. And maybe that's maybe that's the best way to do it. But for now, it's just really painful trying to watch things that you just literally can't have access to or uh, another thing that I've heard compl- as recently as this morning on a podcast heard complaining about there are people who will go and buy content through illegal means and then also download it because it's much easier to watch if you download it than it is if you pay for it and try to go through their services so like they can assuade their own guilt by buying something through iTunes but they have issues with iTunes or whatever the service is that, that they're buying it through and downloading it as well just gets it free from any uh, DRM, gets it gets rid of all of the junk that comes along with the lesser like services that either haven't thought out their interface well enough or their issues. They're talking about issues with scrubbing through content, which I've definitely had like they're if you're watching some kind of stream and you try to like go back 30 seconds or go forward a minute or something or, or skip to the next segment, the stream will just die hmm. and you have to sit there and start over and go through and watch a minute and a half of ads and then scroll to the next segment, right. watch another minute and a half of ads, go to the, and then yep. go to the point where you were like, it's just, it's painful. And just downloading that content has none of those hurdles. It's, it's another instance where there's a solved problem. But companies, and, <clears throat> and there's nothing wrong with wanting money. 
there's nothing wrong with wanting to make back what you've made with the profit, pay your employees, pay your engineers, pay your designers, whatever, that there's nothing wrong with that, but at least give people, like make it easy for people to do the thing they want to do, the thing mm-hmm. they're paying for. Yeah. Don't make it intentionally difficult or intentionally annoying. <sighs> so I think I want to move on because this has taken a very long time already and there's other stuff that I do want to talk about. Um, but before we do that, I'll just uh, say one more time. Um, so you guys, the the dear, dear listeners of Fake It um, are going to get the chance to get a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook from audible.com. Um, that'll give you the opportunity to check out their service. Uh, you can cancel it at any time. It helps out the show. Uh, and so I just want to talk briefly about a book that I started reading or I started uh, listening to on uh, from Bill Nye. So Bill Nye's new book, Undeniable. I'm sure you've heard of Bill Nye. I'm sure if you're in uh, Mike and my age group, you watched his TV show, which apparently might be coming back. So, really? Uh, Apparently, or in some form, it might not be exactly the same show, but uh, so he's got a new book out called Undeniable. Uh, if you listened or watched his debate with Ken Ham uh, last year, might have been even two years ago now, um, at the Creationist Museum, he talks a lot about evolution. He talks about climate change. He talks about vaccines, I believe, as well. Um, it's a really great book so far, and you can find it yourself at audible.com. Uh, if you use our code <clears throat> audibletrial.com slash unwind, you can get a start a free 30-day trial as well as get, for instance, Undeniable by Bill Nye. Uh, one more time, that's audibletrial.com slash unwind for a free audiobook. So thanks again to audible.com. Okay. Um, one of the things that I want to talk to you about for a little bit is... What I'm going to call, I'm, I'm putting it under the heading of backup solutions, but really it's online file storage, cloud storage. We talked about it almost a year ago now, if, if not a full year ago. Um, neither of us was paying money for any online storage. Can I confirm that you are still not paying any money for cloud storage? That is correct. Neither am I. Um, I have... It, <laughs> I feel like this is going to be really tiresome to go through, but I have something 15 gigs of Google Drive storage. I have 13 gigs of Dropbox storage. I have 20 gigs of Creative Cloud storage. I have 5 gigs of iCloud storage. Uh, I have 170-something gigabytes of OneDrive storage because they had that 100-gig crazy promotion some time ago. Um what I really want, some of these services, especially Google Drive, I think for me, are really, really good deals. You can get 100 gigs for really cheap. You can get a terabyte of storage online for really cheap. But I haven't yet. What I have, the free tier, has been good enough. And the, more than that, the reasons to upgrade have not been compelling enough. I would love, I would love to be able to like i have now five podcasts i would absolutely adore the opportunity to be able to pay for google drive storage host the podcast files on google drive i know google's uh, content distribution is amazing so you wouldn't have any lag there'd be really fast downloads all this but 
the free tier of Google Drive lets you download. Uh, it only lets you download a file up to thirty times per day, I believe, and then it just it it doesn't say you've reached a quota or anything. It just ceases to the link ceases to work. Um, and if you pay for Google Storage, you don't get any extra benefits. It's you still get that thirty download limit. Same thing with Dropbox. Uh, Dropbox has 20 gigabytes per day of bandwidth for shared files, like public files. If you pay for an account, it goes up to 200 gigabytes. But if you're hosting audio or especially video files, you will go through that very, very quickly, like really quickly. If your content is popular at all, you're going to go through that. And so these online cloud services are not good enough for most needs. Now, there are things like Microsoft Azure. There are things like Amazon S3. Uh, even Google has other cloud storage now, like cloud storage specifically, but it's it's for hosting web apps, for instance, or hosting uh, extensions, that kind of stuff. It's not meant for content. And so it tends to be, the, the bandwidth tends to be really expensive. So you wouldn't want to put large files there and and share them publicly because it's going to cost you money every time someone downloads something. But there's, if you want just cheap storage and cheap bandwidth, you can't get both. <clears throat> and that's why I haven't started paying for any of these services. If they offered that, I would sign up in a heartbeat. <clears throat> so I kind of want to talk to you, Mike, just a bit about why you think you haven't started paying. Is it the same thing? Is it along the same lines? Yeah. Well, I just haven't needed to, you know, like store any large amount of files. Like I think I've, I have 28 gigs of dry storage because I got that two or three gig of free storage when I did that security, security check. Yeah. Um, and I'm at like 40% for that. So I still got, you know, more than enough space. Um, now, you know, and the other thing is like photos is the only other thing that I have. And that's all. I think right now I'm not even using the free low res. I'm still doing full up, full size uploads because really? I have, yeah, oh, I have wow. the, the, the amount of storage to, to do that. Um, and now with the drive integration, that makes it all the more, all the more, uh, convenient yeah. to have both my file backups and my photo backups in the same, the same place. Um, but you know, I've I've wanted to for a while to kind of set up my own kind of media server type thing with all the music and the video and stuff that I have, and I haven't got around to doing that yet. But I I do have Plex. Uh, I signed up for that account, and it's kind of all there, ready to go once I get it set up. Right. Um. And for that, that's all local storage, and then you just stream it just through whatever connection you end up having. But I don't believe it charges a a bandwidth. No, because it's your own. For, well, it's your own content, and I, th I don't know how their actual server works. Like, because you load it up onto the Plex, like load up onto your local, yep. you link it to your Plex, <laughs> but what it does between your your own server to Plex to wherever you're streaming from, I don't know how that. I think that th my understanding is that most of those services, there's a service I use called Tonito to access my files. There's also one called Air Video for iPad and iPhone. Um, what it does is it kind of handshakes your, whatever your device you're using with your home computer. 
but it doesn't it doesn't transfer the files through their server. It just creates a connection directly between the devices. So oh, okay. it's not nearly as expensive to to negotiate handshakes between devices as it is to transfer whole files through them. So, for instance, if I want to watch a file, if I'm sitting at uh, or on the bus or something and I want to watch a file that's on my home computer, it's not going to cost them bandwidth to let or to tell my computer to upload the file and stream it to the other, to my phone, for instance. It's only going to cost them a tiny bit to give those instructions, but it's my computer's bandwidth that w- that is actually uploading the file and sending it. Hmm. Otherwise, I think that would be an untenable business for a free app. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the thing. Okay, that that kind of makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's kind of where I'm at as far as my my online backup and storage is that I I haven't had a need for any more storage than I have, and and if I did, it would be in the form of a media server, not in a online hosting type right. setup. Um. But yeah, I can see where your issue is at. Yeah, it's more set up for a business where they have that ability to kind of eat that expense. Right. Whereas you're just looking to give your media to the masses yeah. at a good rate. <clears throat> I did. I had a separate point here, but we'll we'll talk about uh, the Google Plus thing and uh, adding photos to Google Drive because. And I think I've talked about this on a podcast before, but I think it's worth mentioning again. So Google Plus, when you up, you can set it to automatically upload photos and videos. Um, if you don't want the photos to count to your Google Drive storage, they have to be, or it will downsize them to two thousand forty-eight pixels on the longest side. So it's a pretty compressed version compared to what even camera phones are capable of doing these days. Um. But you can upload any video you want to Google+. Absolutely any video. There is no cap until you hit 15 minutes in length. So you can upload a 10 or a 14-minute and 59-second 1080 4K. No, 4K. What I want to say is 60 frames per second video 4K. This could be like a 12-gigabyte file. And it would not count towards your Google Drive storage. But if you upload a 15 minute and one second 480 uh, resolution video, that video will count against your Google Drive storage, even though it's only it'll it'll obviously count less. But it's a it's a really dumb distinction. And having the integration with Google Drive now will mean that those videos are going to show up in my account. So right now, my Google Drive account is at about 70 percent capacity but it's because of when before i knew this thing i had a few videos that were longer than 15 minutes and so there's two or three files that are taking up like 50 percent of my dropbox storage and as soon as i'm able to go and look in google drive i will be able to easily see which ones they are like go back without having to load this entire really long web page i'll just be able to go and see and delete those those three videos or those two or three videos whatever it is and it will be fine. But for now, it's incredibly annoying. And it's a, it's a, it's a rule that makes, like some programmer wrote it and thought, presumably thought this is a, not a great idea. This is not the best way to do this. Uh, but then someone signed off on it 
or agreed with it or whatever whatever it took for the the higher up to to approve and then it was just never thought about again because if you look at that decision from a critical perspective it doesn't make any sense it's not a good decision it's i well they have to cut it off somewhere and but it shouldn't I, it shouldn't I be based if you, on if length you, if but if you plotted all the videos on youtube by length and did your bell curve they probably said okay We'll let sixty percent of the videos be, be free. not count, mm-hmm. and then that's where that fifty minutes probably came from, because sixty percent of the videos on there are less than fifteen minutes. I'm just using sixty percent as sure, an example, yeah, yeah. but it's, yeah. it's something like that, right? So then they still want the majority to be free, but it's like, well, for those that are using it, say like, yeah, like the the people uploading longer than fifteen minutes, they're not just clips of like their baby laughing. It's like more than likely yeah. some sort of like a recital Semi, or something. Semi-for-profit <clears throat> type yeah. thing, right? So, I, I don't know. I, can... I, I get that. The only issue that I have with that line of reasoning is that YouTube is completely free. And you can, you can upload like an eight-hour video if you want. And it doesn't count towards anything. It's completely free. So, I... It, it, there's no distinction to me between well, having YouTube, your YouTube. They have like they generate ad revenue through YouTube. Some, well, if you you choose whether you want ad revenue or not, to a point, I th- I think they still. I don't know if I think YouTube itself still has ads kind of on its page, right? They like, have ads, but you <clears throat> right within your own video. Yeah, you choose. You even get to choose display ads, the ones that sit next to your stuff. If you don't want ads. My understanding is that you won't get any anywhere. I, I guess what I mean is YouTube is designed to host videos and is a revenue-generating vehicle. Yeah, Whereas yeah, of Google Plus, Google Plus doesn't rely or isn't even designed to generate revenue through anything at this point. Right. Like I, th- there is no ads. There's there, no ads in your There's no ads on Google Plus, but you, right. yeah, there is a thing. There is an ad platform using Google Plus. It's just not on Google Plus. Okay. But I guess that's the distinction is yeah, that yeah, yeah. Google Plus isn't already an ad revenue sure. vehicle, so you can't just have it as a free-for-all the same way YouTube is. Right. But interestingly, you can upload a 20-minute video to Google Plus and then go to your YouTube channel that's associated with the same account and import that video to YouTube where it will become free and then you can delete the old one. There are ways around this, but it... It just seems like an arbitrary cutoff that, again, maybe they did it for this sort of bell curve V reason. Like most videos won't get to this point. So we have to draw the line somewhere. Just seems weird. It's, it just seems arbitrary more than weird. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so basic story, no, no paid backup so far. Correct. And you're okay with that for now. Yep. <laughs> Even if it's even if it's two dollars a month for a hundred gigs of Google Drive storage, it's not worth it at this time. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not at the limit, so yeah, it's no sense me paying for it. I, what I want to do is compress because right now I have a bunch of certain kinds of files, things like my resumes, uh, cover letters, that sort of thing, and then uh, pictures and and podcast files as well, hosted in Dropbox. They're like backed up to Dropbox. I have a bunch of other files like notes and stuff. Uh, and obviously the Google Drive or the Google Plus Photos backed up in my drive. 
what I would like to do is have one place where all of it is. And that would get over the limit of any of them. Mm-hmm. But for now, laziness and sort of knowing that none of the solutions is perfect for me right now means that I have to sort of wait and yep. keep them separate and keep every, everything very broken, use certain things for certain uh, products, and it's just all very fragmented. Yeah. yeah. Well, because what I, what I have between Dropbox – drive and box like i have 50 gigs with box and then but they have file upload limits and then there's drive and then dropbox so dropbox has their auto upload and that i still use for photos and videos which i don't really need um but what i usually do is when dropbox gets full i just transport that stuff to box and then just delete out my dropbox because i have a bunch of storage on box okay um so i think what i'll probably end up doing is just using but I guess now that Drive has photo integration, I don't really need Box anymore as much. Right. Because that's what I use for photos usually. So we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I, I'd like to do some sort of more organization so I can kind of know where things are stored in a file system. And like you said, with resumes or whatever, then I can kind of go right into it and know where it is versus, oh, I think that's on Drive somewhere. And then have to sort through all my my randomly uploaded Drive files that are all in just the main they're they're not sorted in any sense. Right. Yeah. Very odd and disjointed. And for the time being, I guess we just have to live with that. It might be kind of nice actually to like for a week, delete Google drive from like delete the Google drive app from all my devices, delete the bookmark to Google drive, remove it somewhere else. Like not use Google drive for a week. See if I can, put the stuff in Dropbox or use something else. And then the next week do the same thing with Dropbox, like put Google drive back or if I, if I need Google drive, put it back and then go to Dropbox, do the same thing, remove the Dropbox app, remove all those files, see what I need. And then like, you're not deleting any files permanently because they're all still backed up, but just seeing if you can go without the thing for a week to see if you can sort of compress your life down. Yeah. It, in some ways it's kind of nice to, to diversify and not have all your eggs in one backup basket, but it's really annoying and complicated to actually go through with it. Yep. Uh, I have, if you have time, I have one more thing that I want to talk to you about. I always have time for you. <laughs> well, that's very nice to hear. <laughs> um, and this is something again that, I think we've probably talked about this offline. I might have mentioned it briefly on Future Chat. I feel like Facebook is forgetting about me. Um, have you ever experienced anything remotely that you would describe as Facebook forgetting about you? I don't know. I I can't say. You know, I sometimes I'll post an article and. I don't get any response to it and I kind of get sad, mm-hmm. but I don't know if that's just because people don't care about what I post. Cause that's equally likely. I guess it's nicer to think that Facebook was doing it than people actually aren't interested in what you're talking about. But yeah, there are things that I post that gets a lot of reactions. So I'm, I'm thinking it's probably the former of people just not being interested versus Facebook forgetting about me. Um, but what, I, what are your experiences with it? Maybe I can get so, some insight. I know that I, there was a while back where I 
and you remember this, I'm sure, where I was very excited to have very few friends on Facebook. People would post things. I think you were one of the people who posted like, Facebook wants me to find you friends. It says you only have 26 people. So just <laughs> friends for Rob. <laughs> and I have since moved beyond that to expand the my friend circle a little bit to use that terrible, terrible term. Um, but I don't feel like I, there's any added benefit to me in doing that. And the reason that I think that it's Facebook forgetting about me is that I have seen when I was keeping my Facebook list very tight, uh, what I also did was organize all the people in my life into groups. And so if I didn't care about what a particular person was doing at a particular moment, I, uh, I guess you call it unfollowed. Like I stopped getting posts from them in my newsfeed. But once you have done that, unless you have them in a different group, and this is sort of similar to the, to the circle thing on Google plus that everyone hates and is confused by, um, what I have almost intentionally done is said, I don't want to see anything from this subset of people that are friends with me on Facebook. I've did that meaningfully a long time ago, but now think that things have changed. I'm just used to it. So in my mind, I've assumed that they're just not posting anything. These, whatever people that I've said, Oh, I, I don't care about this. The only time I see anything that they have posted is when I'm tagged in it because then I get a notification about it. And it has made me think that one of two things is going on. Either people are way better at Facebook than I think and are doing the same thing to me and putting me in the do not get stuff from this person list or Facebook sees that I post a lot of things on Facebook and a lot of those things maybe don't get a huge response. And so algorithmically that has happened to me. And so people who do see stuff and maybe even want to see stuff in the future will now never see it ever again because it's Facebook has set up this thing that I've talked about before the filter bubble where you now just are blocked off from spending internet time with these people on Facebook because of the way its algorithms are set up. There's no page where you can go on your main Facebook page, which I'm on right now and see like everything. There's no like Twitter by default is everything. And you can sort of pick and choose subsets of everything but facebook by definition wants to be we will take care we will look at all the people that you have said you want to keep in touch with we will look and see what you consider most important based on algorithms and show that to you but there's no real way to go i want to see everything even if you go to most recent it will only put the things that you it has already decided you want to see in a different order there's still no way to see everything from everyone. Mm -hmm. It just changes the algorithmic order of it. Right. Well, I have noticed that flipping between, what is it, like top news or... Most recent and 
Yeah, maybe top news. Or something like that, yeah. So the, the default one top that stories. they have. Top stories. So top stories is the default stream view. Yep. If you flip between that and most recent, I have noticed that some posts show up in most recent that weren't in my top stories when they should have been on a, in a chronological basis. Because top stories still is semi-chronological, but it will bump posts that get more activity than others if it was buried and then comes back up. But it's still semi-chronological if you go down. But then the most recent, there are some that show up in most recent for me that aren't a top story. So sometimes I'll randomly kind of check most recent. Yeah. But what, what I'm finding, um, if I can add a different element to, to what you're saying, but it's kind of semi-related that, I'm finding myself, when I follow a page, say TSN or Android Central, or, you know, IF and Love Science, or whatever. When you when you follow those pages, I find that Facebook favors showing those over some of your friends. Yeah. And and I'm worried, because there are a couple of the last couple of days that I kind of followed, because I was like, oh, that's... Because people will either share a post from a page, or they'll comment on it, or like it, and it's like, oh, maybe it's worth trying to follow this page for a bit to see if they post anything interesting but now i'm worried that after liking a couple pages that that's now i'm only going to start seeing just pages i'm yeah. not going to see any yeah. updates from friends because like i have you on notifications i have maria on notifications because i find that if i don't the stuff doesn't make it to my feed right sometimes um and what i'm seeing a lot of pages do is they say hey follow us and make sure you turn notifications on so that you don't miss our huh. posts because it's the same thing. If a page puts out an, a post, it very rarely makes it to the majority of their followers. Right. It makes it to a as, small percent unless you pay right, for it. Right. As we've seen many, yeah. many people yeah. attest to. Um, so – and then another guy on – I think it was The Verge. Um, he just decided to like all pages. Like yeah, everything yeah, yeah. that he could. And – that's that's what his feed turned into. It was just all pages. It yep. wasn't any updates from any real person or just individual person maybe. Yep. So Facebook obviously favors that type of feed content. So I see where you're coming from. I see where you're coming from. And that's the thing is that the majority of people will just follow pages. Yep. Like, so the chances are they probably aren't seeing your stuff. Yep. If the friends that you have like a bunch of pages, that's all they're going to see. So Yeah. And so you don't even know – you don't know what Facebook is. You just know what Facebook thinks you want to see. Yeah. So you could say like, oh, Facebook's getting so much worse. I just see all this page stuff. But like that's not an indication of of you. That's an indication of Facebook. Uh, what do you mean? Like what's the best way to explain this? There, People, <clears throat> they want to see – it's undeniable that they want to see what they like. Sure. But it what ends up happening is that if you haven't already liked something but you would like it, you still don't see it. And it it only can consider your history. It can't discover anything for you. It when it comes to pages, it might suggest friends oh. for you, but and I think it will always favor pages over people 
I th- I think that yeah no I yeah because pages are what's going to pay the bills like they'll yeah yeah they'll pay for the more exposure whatever and but I think I think Facebook does do some sort of level of discovery because if it says so and so liked this like liked a post mm-hmm. often it's a post from a page yeah like and by that way you're getting exposed to that content and you may like that page as well that happened to yeah, me a couple yeah, yeah. times right yeah so in a sense they are trying to discover things for you but in their own self-interest yeah as far yeah. as getting those pages more followers and right. more revenue so now facebook doesn't have the same type of system that google plus has where you can filter into circles and have like a friends only they do have that do they yeah I know you can post to specific groups. I don't know. Can you? But you can't filter your feed. You can. Restricted to, can you? Yeah. There's a there's a tab on the left side after all the groups and whatever you're part of. After apps. Oh, the lists. A thing called friends. Yeah. So I have a close friends. I don't know. Would you call it a list? Yeah. I guess they call it a list. You can yeah. manage list. Yeah. And you'll see. <laughs> this is literally. Oh, this is almost all you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your only close friend. <laughs> um, I think you just did a lot of stuff yesterday. You liked Maybe. a few pages and you posted a couple yeah. things. Nick's on there too. Yeah. It, it, there are a few people who like a lot of things. And I think you end up seeing a disproportionate amount of those kinds of people. Like there are 14 people on this list. Mm-hmm. And it's dominated by a few because they're the people that are going around liking all kinds of things and that's good but it it stunts what facebook actually shows you but if if you are able to do that then you can get that element of seeing everything if you have a list of all the non-page right people like yeah okay yeah, you you can. Like that's that's my workflow of Google Plus is I'll go into Google Plus, I'll have my circles, and then I just treat it as almost an RSS feed. That I'll go to like my tech circle, and then I read all the tech news. Right. And I'll go to like my news circle and read all the news news, and I'll go to like my people circle and see all the updates from like actual people, not yeah. news yeah, or yeah. comedy or tech or whatever. So that's that's how I used Google Plus. Other people use it differently. Um, they'll group people into like, oh, cool people, nerdy people, whatever. Like right. that, but it's very customizable that way. And I guess if Facebook has a similar thing with their lists, then you could kind of do kind the of. same type of thing. Yeah. Because like Google Plus has their their front page stream too that you can manage and decide what shows up there. Yeah. And that kind of functions the same way that the Facebook newsfeed does. But I think that still shows you everything. That's included in there, though it does have a percentage of, you know, some posts show up in my news feed or main feed and that kind of thing. So they have their own element of that, but it's more geared towards using the circles versus the main timeline or the main feed. I think, yeah, I think they want you to more than people actually do. Even even myself, knowing and using the circles, I still end up most of the time just on the main page and like so I, okay. I subscribe to a lot of communities and my yeah. method to dealing with that has been to tone down the number of things that from communities that I see on the main page. But right. it, 
it doesn't go away. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't want to turn it off because it's like, that's the reason I'm on a social network is to have stuff show up in front of me. Yep. So you don't visit the actual communities then? Rarely, if ever. Okay. That, that kind of stuff I mostly do on Reddit. Like okay. I've started using it a lot more and mostly just sitting there watching, but like there's a podcasting thread and I go on there and comment on stuff and ask stuff. Yeah. I think I've, I want to, I actually kind of want to get into Reddit a bit more because they actually have quite a few like local subreddits, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like, like Calgary, whatever. Like, and I don't get enough of that. Like I've circled a couple of people on, on Google plus that are Calgary or at least like Canadian. So it's yeah. a bit more relevant to you know what I do on a daily basis, but mm-hmm. it'd be cool to kind of get more involved in the Reddit Calgary community to see. It's like, oh, this is going on this weekend, or oh, what did you guys think of that break in on like Cranston Avenue the other day? Yeah. Like, like just more locally relevant stuff that right. you're interacting with online. So yeah, it, it's interesting because with being interconnected, having the internet available. Every like you can be friends with someone who's on the other side of the world and keep in touch more than you do with your neighbors. But the thing that you're talking about is kind of using the internet because like it's it's almost taking the internet one step further. Connect you yes you can connect really really broad strokes, but you can also take it and connect better with people that are right experiencing the same things as you right near you. Well, and that's what Maria's finding with like just the moms community on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of moms groups and there'll be like, you know, there's like auction sites and stuff where people try to like do kind of buy sell type stuff. And then there's just organizational, like we're wanting to set up a page like for our street, like just yeah. our cul-de-sac right. that people can connect with and say, Hey, do you guys want to come over for a barbecue this weekend kind of thing? Yeah. But it's all online. You don't have to like knock on people's doors or text people individually. Yeah. Just organize it all through, through online because yeah. That's where people are anyway. Yeah. And people are not knocking on each other's doors anymore, really. It's very no. rare compared yeah. to online interactions and interactions with people that are further away from you. Like yeah. we're all kind of frozen in time when we first really started getting into social networking. Like our friends group is right now what it was when we first really plugged into the internet and started using it to make connections in a meaningful way. We haven't really we we don't make friends anymore based on where we are physically. We make friends based on common interest anywhere around us, and we keep the friends that we've had when we used to be near them back when yeah. that was a thing. Yeah, well, I think you and I are almost a perfect example of that. Yep. Like we we were really good friends here, and you know we kind of went our own ways, and we reconnected online. And we've been able to maintain that relationship, yeah, pretty seamlessly, I think. And to the to the extent where I can be a best man for your wedding, and in essence, still kind of perform a lot of the organizational logistical stuff that might come with being a best man, yeah. but not having to actually be in the same city because all your friends are online. Like a lot of businesses do their business online. You can just worst case, you just pick up the phone. Yeah. and call across the country but you don't actually have to physically be yeah, there yeah, yeah. even like with renting a suit like i can go to moore's here book it under your yeah and the, they'll have it set up here and they'll have it set up there yeah. when i go so it's like that's like magical <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> like it's it removes all barriers of geographic of proximity yeah, right 
So, I don't know. It's an exciting time to be in. I I like that part. The part that that concerns me about this, and it's the reason that I am depending less and less on Facebook to actually communicate with people and more and more on Twitter, is that, like I said, Twitter by default is everything. And if you want, you can get more specific. Whereas Facebook more and more is becoming almost nothing by default. Like they have a set algorithmic number of stories that they want to show you per hour, per day, whatever. And if you are friends with or like more pages than that amount, they will filter out whatever they consider to be least important, whatever that is. And it's based on your history. I don't think that's the healthiest way to go about it. I don't, I'm not saying I have a better way right now. I just I don't, keep improving at Facebook. That's that's yeah. basically the point. Yeah. I remember it was probably about three years ago. And it was prior to Facebook integrating the shared news feed of, oh, so-and-so liked this or so-and-so yeah. commented on this. My Facebook timeline was dead. Like. I'd go on there one at one point, two hours later, go on, no new posts. Right. And it's like, wow, nothing's going on. But then once they started saying, oh, so-and-so like this, so-and-so comment on this, you get more activity and then you can like those same things or comment on those same things or whatever. So yep. it encouraged more interaction that way. So I think that was actually a good implementation. You know, people kind of semi-complained about like, oh, I don't care what other people like or other people comment on. But Otherwise, like, why are you even on Facebook yeah, if you're not yeah, looking yeah. to kind of share those interactions, right? Yeah. I, it almost goes to the same extent of privacy. It's like, well, why are you on Facebook if you don't want your posts to be seen by even friends of friends? Right, like, yeah, exactly. Sure, I can, I can maybe understand you don't want it public if that's not your thing. Yeah. But to even limit it to, like, just friends, not friends of friends, it's like, I don't know. It's To me, that's not a beneficial use of Facebook. Right. You're not making the most of it, I don't think. Yeah. And and you can there are steps you can take to make it specific for your purposes. Like there are Facebook oh, yeah, groups, totally. private groups, yeah. secret groups, whatever. Yeah. Use it use it the way you want to use it. Make it make it work for you. I, I wish and I this is the thing that I the like key point of this for me and Facebook is that I wish I could start over. Like keep the same network, but like hit refresh and be like Hey guys, I've matured and like I'm better at Facebook now. Give me another chance. Give let the algorithms give me another chance to prove that the stuff that I'm posting is worth people at least being able to see. Cuz there was a time and maybe I still am to some people. I'm sure I still am to some people. Really annoying on Facebook like posting <laughs> way more than they could ever care and way more than they ever go on. But it's a, it it's a tool for me as someone who is making stuff to like, it's beneficial for me to have people be able to see it. And the amount of seeing that people do on Facebook is minimal compared to other things. So it just means that I'm going to use Facebook less, which I guess is fine with them. But in the future, who knows that they might, if something else comes up, that's better at this, they might be screwed if they don't, if they're not able to keep up with the times, I hope they're playing the long game. I'm, and I'm sure they have engineers working on stuff around this, but it's, it's an interesting time to speculate about the future of social media because it's moving mm-hmm. so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see where virtual reality goes. Like Facebook 
bought Oculus. Yep. I believe. Yeah. So like they obviously have plans for that. And that's not it's not like, oh, just as an investment. Like they're gonna start integrating their own products and services into virtual reality for sure. So it'll be exciting to see how that develops and how you start kind of melding virtual reality, augmented reality into what we do right now on our phones and our computers, but just, yeah, like, you know, something popping up in front of you saying, oh, so-and-so sent you a message or like, I don't know. It's, yeah, it'll be cool to see where it goes. Between that and live streaming, I feel like there's a convergence there that will make things amazingly cool. Like if you can give someone a live virtual, like augmented or virtual reality tour of something. Yeah. Did you see that those 3D videos I sent you guys? Oh, I couldn't see the 3D aspect of it. I just could pan around in it. Or not not 3D, but I guess it's kind of 3D. 360 degree. 360 degree, yeah. That's kind of what I didn't think of. But yeah, like with an Android phone, it lets you do the the 360 degree. And you like hold your phone out and you like move it around. Yeah. And it 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 changes the the viewing angle. It changes the view in a 360 sense. And I'm like... This is what virtual reality was made for. Yeah. Like yeah. to like put that on your face and be able to look around as yeah. if you were there, yeah. like at a conference or just at a sporting event and just have that experience without actually being there. Yeah. And that's, that's going to be amazing. It really I'm is. Excited. Looking yeah. forward to it. That seems like a natural stopping point. And this, uh, this has gone on long enough. What do you say? Wrap it up. <laughs> I'm good with that. All right. Uh, so for people who want to catch past episodes, including the one Mike and I did when we were much, much younger back in October, November, uh, you can head to unwindmedia.com slash fake it. Uh, if you head to just unwindmedia.com, you'll be able to see all the shows that, uh, that are on there, like future chat, obviously, which is going to be having its triumphant, triumphant return next weekend. And, uh, hope you enjoyed listening. Mike, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Rob. We'll, we'll, a uh, pleasure. we'll see you live next week. We'll see you then. Bye. <laughs> see ya.